Does manual treasury management and operations have your crypto business stuck in the slow lane? Scale up and speed ahead with Fireblocks, the number one platform for crypto operations and trading pros that makes custody, settlement, and rebalancing quick and easy. Visit fireblocks.com to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Coinbase Prime, an integrated solution that provides institutional investors with an advanced trading platform, secure custody, and prime services to manage all of their crypto assets in one place. Futuristic companies like Tesla and MicroStrategy have used Coinbase's comprehensive investing platform to execute some of the largest trades in the industry. Learn more by visiting coinbase.com prime to get started today. Eager to make more informed decisions around crypto using data you can trust, Chainalysis demystifies cryptocurrency by providing industry-leading compliance, market intelligence, and investigation support for all crypto assets for organizations like Gemini, Crypto.com, and BlockFi. Maximize your potential with the leading blockchain data platform by visiting Chainalysis.com now. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Scoop. I'm your host, Frank Chaparro, Director of News at The Block. Thank you for joining us today. We have an amazing guest on the other side of the mic, Back Kim, General Partner at Hash. Back, I uh, missed you when you were in our offices in New York not too long ago, so hopefully this will give me a chance to redeem myself as a host to you. Excited to have you on. You guys are not making as many headlines here stateside, but... For our audience members who are maybe under the proverbial rock, you guys are crushing it in Korea. I think you guys won some sort of innovation award for being one of the best venture capitalist firms out there. Is that true? <laughs> Thank you, Frank, for having me. Yeah, I guess there is a VC award that goes out every year and you know we were nominated for being the most innovative, I guess, being one of the only one doing the Web3 space. So you're operating mostly in Asia. You're based in California, you yourself. What's the dynamic like out there? We've been having a, a bunch of venture capital firms on the show lately, but we haven't really, we've zeroed in on different topics. We've zeroed in on the metaverse. We've zeroed in on NFTs. We've zeroed in on different layer ones, but maybe walk us through what the landscape looks like in the East. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, we've been investing in the space past five years. And now that we've funded over 100 founders, about 65% of our founders are based in the Asia side. And then, you know, other half is primarily based in the US. We try to be the fund that's local and be present with the founders, you know, going through the growth of zero to one together and really understanding the local market so that, you know, we can help them what they, you know, what demographic they're trying to target and what kind of business model can really work in those regions in the Web3. 
being that said, you know, while a lot of the funds are, you know, saying cross borders or, you know, Asia to West, or a lot of the funds, you know, going to different tax jurisdiction of like, you know, Cayman or Puerto Rico, you know, we go reverse in that, you know, we go to where the funders come up and we think a lot of that will be happening in Southeast Asia, East Asia and San Francisco and U.S., so we've expanded our team in, you know, Bangalore, India. So now we have four people there. We have three people in Singapore, uh, majority of our team in uh, Korea, and then other, you know, team members in the U.S. side. In terms of dynamic, um, we're seeing a lot of bottom-up growth of talents coming in. I like that, you know, many of them actually see this as a you know, new opportunity to become a founder and build something without, you know, getting step of approval from VCs or reputable institutions, you know, they're building uh, adoption from the ground and, you know, proving it by execution rather than, you know, just by the thesis. I wouldn't blame folks for setting up shop in Puerto Rico, though. That sounds, that sounds kind of nice. <laughs> Maybe that's my next move. So let me, let me get an understanding of the size and scope of the firm. You mentioned you've, you've invested in a hundred plus projects. Is that through one fund vehicle or a few different funds? How big are we talking? Yeah. So our structure is quite interesting in that we started five years ago without really not knowing what VC is or how to structure a fund. All four GPs uh, at our fund comes from software engineering, CS background, founder background, where we've um, exited our startups multiple times. And we just wanted to help our founders, you know, to navigate space in Web3. And, you know, to be frank, you know, in 16 and 17, it was quite scary to start something in crypto because you couldn't even tell who's being legit and, you know, who's being kind of fraudulent. So we started by, you know, helping founders to get started, uh, especially the strong Web2 founders that we knew. So we started with 700K GP capital and started incubating teams. So... You know, first one that we worked on was obviously Terra Money in 2017, where we worked together with the initial design, helped them with the go-to-market and fundraising. And now they have grown as the biggest uh, decentralized stablecoin. We have a two big thesis, which is uh, decentralized money. And then other half is the uh, gaming and metaverse. Our first investment in gaming was uh, X-Infinity in 2018, where we onboarded as their first advisor. We met them in Ho Chi Minh, Vietnam, where we were trying to learn more about Southeast Asia markets, emerging markets on, you know, how crypto can become more accessible and how can this change their lifestyle. And, you know, XC's case, it was before SLP and token economics came out, but really see the you know, vision of how metaverse and gaming can help out. So fast forward, as you mentioned, we've you know, invested more than 500 uh, founders globally. We've grown our fund now to over $4 billion in crypto assets uh, without any LP still. So we still own 100% of the fund. And now with that, we are able to have full control of being flexible to support our founders, whether that's running validator, uh, running governance, you know, providing liquidity for DeFi protocol portfolios that launch to provide the optimal experience for retail users. And now we have gone beyond uh, to actually build ourselves directly on our portfolio ecosystem. So we echo hire the uh, gaming studios in Asia from AAA public companies. And that's called uh, Unopened Studio, which is a metaverse venture studio as our fully owned subsidiary. We've grown that team to now about 80 people, mostly engineers and designers. 
uh, and they're building games on top of portfolios like uh, you know Terra, Solana, Polygon, Ethereum. So the first game that we launched was League of Kingdoms, uh, which uh, is one of the fastest play turn game. They just raised from XNZ Crypto and Sequoia. And second game, which is a Derby Star, uh, which is a first game to launch on Terra, which also raised from the top tier gaming funds in the US. So yeah, we're trying to build this kind of positive feedback loop of, you know, being the first fund to help and then, you know, go around to, you know, provide with liquidity, governance, and also build on top of them to create adoption, especially around entertainment and gaming. You hit on something that I think is really important and interesting and not talked about enough, which is the idea of a positive feedback loop in crypto. Let's slow down for a second. $700,000 to $4 billion. And you're not the only firm. That's pretty impressive, seven hundred dollars to, to billions. But when I think about some of the funds that I was introduced to in 2017, 2016, a couple million, now also we're talking billions. And they're not raising, so you don't necessarily know the AUM size. But when you have that type of growth, right? It does create this positive feedback loop that is a underappreciated bullish sort of underpinning to the market. Everyone's worried about a bear market. And when you see these big fund announcements, people point to that as a tailwind. But you also have these major massive funds reinvesting what they've made back into the ecosystem which helps prop up maybe not liquid token prices, but at least the long-term stability of the market. Yes, definitely. And, you know, we also even think of ourselves as kind of, you know, iterative direction of becoming a DAO ourselves, kind of like a hash DAO in that, you know, our treasury, because, you know, we operate our capital without LP, is some form of kind of meta governance and also meta index of our portfolio assets. And, you know, how we utilize that means a lot of responsibility. You know, we cannot be optimizing for the return to someone else, but we actually own all these assets so we can actually be focused on what's best for the long-term growth. And that's the only reason why I think, you know, we were the only fund that was able to not liquidate at all of, you know, Terra Luna for the past four years even during the bear market when it was hitting a few cents. And we believe in the vision to really grow together, continue to run validator and, you know, continue to build on top of it, um, hands-on from our engineers to, you know, build that vision together. Well, let's take a moment to unpack this gaming ecosystem that you've built out with 80 people, 80 engineers or engineers and maybe other professionals. Yeah, designers, community managers. Yeah. yeah. How did you sort of get into that and to go from dipping your toe into crypto for the first time to being, you mentioned how you guys weren't necessarily folks with venture backgrounds. Now you're getting into gaming. You're not really folks with gaming backgrounds. How do you build something like this out and then make it so successful that you've got Sequoia and A16Z knocking on your door? Yeah, um, I think it just kind of started from our roots in that, you know, all of us were founders and builders and, you know, this is our first time investing. And fortunately, we were, you know, lucky uh, to be in the right place with the right founders that we were very proud of working together. 
And we realized that, you know, there's so many gaps in the industry where we don't want to be just waiting as investor where founders show up to solve those problems. But, you know, we wanted to do more and, you know, be hands-on, you know, literally building product manner. So it started as a small idea of maybe we should have engineers internal to our fund, where most of the engineers at the funds are, you know, building internal systems or trading systems or, you know, accounting softwares. But we thought, can we do more by having engineers in, internally? And then we started, you know, thinking that how do we create career growth for these engineers if they join a fund, right? Because I, I used to be self-engineer. A lot of us were self-engineer before. And engineers, you know, thrive when they're with smart engineers together rather than just being alone, told to do different ad hoc projects. So we thought maybe having different structure for it so that we help our founders, but it itself is autonomous and, you know, sustainable. And sustainable is really something that we care a lot about in crypto because there's always cycle of, you know, bull and bear where, you know, a lot of activities go away during the bear and then a lot of excitement come out in the bull market. But as a fund and as a studio, we want to continuously, you know, build and add value. And we thought, you know, having a metaverse startup studio style would be the best structure where, you know, we can plan out the long-term vision separate to our investment vehicle, but we still collaborate closely to create synergy with our portfolios. So our studio has its own CEO and then it has its own, you know, corporate development community and also, you know, engineers and designers that build product. And they've been hiring in a very structured manner and that kind of grew into 80 people, where, which is a little bit bigger than, you know, what he initially envisioned. But, you know, this has become quite sustainable in that they're adding tangible value to our portfolios and they really value it. And now they're going beyond to, you know, advise and you know, help out the Web2 companies that are coming into the crypto space, which I can talk more about in the later. Absolutely. One of the things that people often talk about when we think about crypto gaming, right? There are these cycles. You have the incentives that bring people to the game, but those incentives don't always last, yep. right? And the interest wanes. We've seen that with Axie Infinity and many other games. Mm -hmm. How do you create sticking power? How do you keep people engaged with the game for the long haul? Yeah. I think um, it's really coming down to the content. And I think crypto and the Web3 space, uh, the current moment of growth is a very unique opportunity for our generation in that you know, it's a unique opportunity to create original IP success. Because when we look at you know history of the number one success stories, it's always original content and original IPs. There's always kind of comeback of, you know, Marvel or like Disney types, but they're never number one in that you know, new category that they go in. It's the new IP. And I think that's what we saw with, you know, BAYC and, you know, Axie and others where it started from really nothing without any distribution channel, but they've grown bottom up uh, from the community. So that's something that we're looking for as an investor and, you know, looking into the industry as a builder in that what's the opportunity here to create new content, new way of interaction to make sure that, you know, we have this once in a generation opportunity where we go from the bottom without any, you know, big publisher network to reach the customer. And after that is really creating a um, sustainable community growth where what kind of contents can we continuously provide to the community to keep it engaged. And I think that's the part where crypto industry still lacks, where, you know, there's NFT drops, but there's so much oversupply of NFT collections where there's no 
you know, support of utility or support of, you know, new contents to come out from it. Because, like, you know, when you think about subscribing on YouTube channels, you know, I see a fun video, but I wouldn't really subscribe to that video creator unless I see that person has enough following and, you know, it looks like continuously producing content every week. And I'll just have fun and then leave. And I think in the crypto case, we're seeing that there's a lot of drops, but it's hard for users or participants to see what to expect as a next step or what to continuously be produced from this community. So that's something that we're looking for and also pushing our founders to really care about what it means to become sustainable gaming or you know, NFT community. How much time do you, do you spend playing League of Kingdoms? Do you spend a lot of time playing it? Not so much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's the, also that thing where it's fun enough to actually hang out on the Discord channel than actual playing games. And I think that's something that's quite unique about crypto gaming in that even for Axie as well, like we were really early investor and being part of the growth of the game. But I actually, as a avid game enthusiast, I found more fun, interestingly, with the community members in Discord, kind of chatting about my XE, chatting about the gameplay, than the actual gaming part, uh, which, you know, for my taste, was a little bit too plain. And I think this community continues seeking for the next steps of content is where we are in terms of the industry. Well, they got to get to work then. They got to yeah. <laughs> figure out a way to convince you to get in there and glue your face to the screen. So... This has been pretty interesting. We've obviously talked a bit about the gaming plays that you're making, this studio that you've created. What about some of the other trends shaping uh, the VC market right now? Where else are you looking to make bets in Web3 and maybe Metaverse? Yeah, as you said, uh, Metaverse gaming is a big part. Another aspect is um, really around infrastructures that allow us to you know, build better experience in that field. So this could be Web3 infrastructures around GameFi, could be around identity, privacy, and scaling, so on. The reason that I care about identity is that right now, you know, when I chat with product managers or engineers within our portfolios, there's no good way to really modularly design the framework around how to organize identities within the platform. The reason is that you know, as a PM of certain project or protocol, um, only data you get about the users are the IP address if they're not using VPN and hash address and their account transaction style. And this is not enough. And sometimes, you know, some of the users actually use multiple different wallets to engage with the same protocol or different strategy. For example, like DIDX or, you know, Axie, you might have, you know, different Axie in different wallet, play different style. You might have different assets in DIDX where you can do different, you know, leverage or risk modeling. So, you know, when these accounts leave, how do you know if they are actually churning out or just switching wallets or, you know, they're just consolidating, you know, strategies to one wallet. So those are kind of interesting problem, I think, that where it's hindering some of the builders to understand better about customers. And, you know, some of the ways that I've been thinking about was how do we create kind of economic model where we incentivize people to consolidate some of the actions in certain, you know, accounts or identity where, you know, we care about those identity enough that as a builder, we can also focus on the incentives or designing new features around that demographic of that kind of user behaviors. And I think when that gets solved, um, that really leads to 
understanding what privacy means for the crypto industry as well. You know, there's a lot of big privacy thesis in the industry for the past four or five years, but nothing has been really functional. And I think the reason has been that, you know, it's either fully private or not private at all. And I think the reason that we are stuck in that level is that we are unable to understand identity in the space and how they interact among between different identities. And, you know, it's a kind of step by step where if we figure this out, this actually helps the metaverse and gaming. This is in a way to have a better you know, UX for the end user, which creates more engaging game feel, where it also leads to kind of your point on kind of stepping up to become a better game, better engaging, better social you know, platforms for people to have fun. What's interesting about what you're saying is you have this core entity, which is the metaverse or a metaverse game, right? And it creates all of these downstream. There's like this flywheel of economic growth that comes out of this core thing. So you have the mm -hmm. metaverse, but then if it's going to be successful, you need privacy tools, you need better design, you need better social tools. And it's almost going to create this separate economy, right? That runs parallel to the analog world. How do you see that economy shaping up? Yeah, um, I think we're seeing kind of early signs of what it means today in that, you know, we're starting to see people with more net worth in the metaverse space than, you know, what they have in the real life or doesn't really have the banking support in the real life, but, you know, have off-ramp through the crypto vehicles. What we are trying to focus on in that kind of transition is how do we bring metaverse in our daily lives? Because, you know, when you look at metaverse or any kind of metaverse so-called experiences, it's very event-driven. What I mean by that is, you know, people go on to VR to see certain concert, or people go on to this, you know, metaverse space to see, this specific gallery or people go on, you know, sandbox to take part of a certain initiative that a certain project or brand is doing. Or to see Snoop Dogg. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which is all great. You know, we do that in our lives too, right? In that, you know, we travel to different cities to watch certain specific content. But what we care more about in getting into metaverse is really how can we seamlessly go on and off between metaverse where you know, we use that kind of parallel economy, as you mentioned, as another form of economic activity or social or you know, earning down the line. And I think Web3 really has a big foundational tool uh, enabler in that process. Having trouble keeping pace with the crypto boom? When your business is scaling up and your portfolio is growing, you don't want to waste precious time on manual treasury management or settling in rebalancing. Fireblocks can handle that for you with smart, scalable solutions for your crypto business, along with industry-leading security and expertise. They'll take care of the back end so you can focus on the big picture. Visit fireblocks.com to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Coinbase Prime, 
an integrated solution that provides institutional investors with an advanced trading platform, secure custody, and prime services to manage all their crypto assets in one place. Coinbase Prime fully integrates crypto trading and custody on a single platform and gives clients the best all-in pricing in their network using their proprietary smart order router and algorithmic execution. Futuristic companies like Tesla and MicroStrategy have already used Coinbase's comprehensive investing platform to execute some of the largest trades in the industry. Build a unified investment portfolio with one of the most trusted names in crypto. Learn more by visiting coinbase.com prime to get started today. Are you eager to make more informed decisions around crypto using data you can trust? Chainalysis is here to help. Chainalysis demystifies cryptocurrency by providing industry-leading compliance, market intelligence, and investigation support for all crypto assets for organizations like Gemini, Crypto.com, and BlockFi. Gain unparalleled visibility and maximize your potential with the leading blockchain data platform by visiting Chainalysis.com now. So what companies do you see at the bleeding, cutting edge that are bridging the gap between metaverse and analog? We are seeing not that many companies specifically targeting kind of the bridge aspect today yet, I think. The main reason is to connect between different cities. Each city should become attractive enough to travel. Uh, and that's why, you know, you build highways to connect those you know, traffic because there's so much demand to go there and back. But right now is a phase where we're starting to build out the metaverse aspect. If you look at Sandbox, it's still mostly kind of empty land with speculative investing activities happening. And now we're just getting started with the brands and game studios building interactive experiences on top of the lands that they acquired or lent. And... I think we are going to start to see more of those kind of bridges happening by actual builders rather than specific projects doing it. Because as the activity on Metaverse grows and grows and this become more important, each builder that's you know promoting that activity will find ways to really make it easier um, for people to onboard. And I think, you know, there will be specific startups coming out to support those as well. But right now, the bridges have been quite limited to kind of authentication layer and, you know, on-ramps for assets mostly, rather than the actual onboarding experience itself. Mm. And it's clunky, right? I mean, that's probably one of the biggest yeah. headwinds, mm -hmm. right? It's kind of like the internet in the early 90s. It's just not easy for regular folks to engage with unless you abstract away the crypto complexity of it for people to just use it as they do the regular internet, which in many ways is, is a kind of precursor to what the metaverse is. What other headwinds do you see for metaverse projects or just the idea of the metaverse itself? Like headwinds and in like a kind of some of the friction points that we can. Friction points. Yeah. yeah. Um, Another aspect that we really think a lot about is kind of the token model side of these metaverses. Because kind of like how Uniswap started this AMM boom of DeFi protocols and governance token within DeFi, which I think we're seeing quite 
struggle of justifying what these tokens do and what governance token really means. And I think the same thing is happening in play-to-earn games and metaverse space where a lot of the new projects I see today are kind of copying over the token model of XE. You know, the two token model of one, kind of the governance and the value accrual token, and then another one being kind of the utility payment method token, which from the Axis case, we've seen some of the struggles and the, uh, you know, limitations of that model. So we are thinking through a lot around how can we actually have, you know, simple one token model or even better structure where it's much easier for people to understand what token model means and don't have to care too much about different volatilities in different assets within same metaverse so that they can care, focus on the actual fun experience part of the game or the metaverse itself. You saw this trend unfolding before basically everyone, certainly way before <laughs> me. I was I was off in La La Land covering Fidelity and you made a bet on Axie in like 2018. What did you see back then that other people weren't paying attention to? I think we were lucky in that we set our thesis on gaming early among crypto funds. Investing our own money into multiples of founder is not easy. And you know we're doing this to really push adoption of crypto. And the reason that we picked gaming as the second biggest pillar next to decentralized money was that Going from digital to offline is really difficult. Why don't we stay in digital? And where's the biggest economy in digital? Obviously, gaming, esports are the biggest one and also fastest growing economy and also very engaging among the you know participants. So we thought this could be a big gateway for adoption of crypto. But you know, in 2018 and 19, all the games you see in the industry were like Tron Bats or EOS Knights type of very, very speculative gambling type of games that were not sustainable at all. And, you know, if I look back, we actually got a lot of questions from other funds on why are we investing in games? Why are we investing in XE, Sandbox? Because, you know, these teams came from literally out of nowhere in the not main target regions of, uh, you know, nation. And gaming seemed to be just so little part of the crypto industry. But Axie team and Sandbox team and the Central team were some of the few ones that we got to meet that were very genuine about building games and building IP rather than caring too much about how do we use game to make money through crypto. And I think it was really cool to see how they built community over the last few years. So over the next few years, maybe five years and beyond, what does this all look like? Yeah, um, it's kind of hard to <laughs> tell in that we've been only in the crypto industry for five years and every single year, not even year, like quarter was kind of some unexpected events and pivots and, you know, different style of events happening. So as a fund and as, you know, working with our founders, we always say that we want to stay malleable and adaptive and also, you know, fast learner. Uh, and I think that's how we've been really working with our founders to support them. The major visions that we have is really around the direction of many of the assets moving to digital and becoming tokenized. And as the number of and the size of capital, uh, economic size grow in the metaverse space, how do we interact with those? And another problem goes back again to identity 
where today we say, you know, we have population of, you know, 78 billion in the globally, but we noticed that we have many different accounts in metaverse, probably anywhere from like two all the way to 10. So that means, you know, we can have 10x of population in the metaverse space, which is much, much bigger a size of demographic and user base than what we have currently as a physical users. So that's something that we're kind of diving deep to see what that actually looks like, you know, much bigger, much liquid economic activity, which much bigger population, you know, what kind of services or what kind of interactive experience can we provide to, you know, sustainably grow this ecosystem that we are seeing slight tip of the beginning signal right now. It's like we're doing a share split of the human population. <laughs> I guess kind of, yeah. I mean, because you can really pretend to be a different person in, you know, metaverse and, you know, PFP space. Well, we already see that on crypto Twitter. Do you have any burners? <laughs> Do you have your own burners lurking around? Yeah, we, we definitely see that in crypto. And you know, <laughs> I, I definitely um, play around with my Anon profile as well. Well, that's the way you got to do it. So we obviously talked a bit about some of your successes. What do you think? You know, you mentioned pivoting. You mentioned needing to be malleable. What was your biggest miss, you think? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I think our biggest miss was being, I guess, in terms of investment point of view, <laughs> as in like a return yeah. point of view, it was uh, being more conservative on layer one landscape. You know, we wanted to be founder focused fund where, you know, we back one founder in this category and back really hard. And we stayed away from investing in multiple different layer one ecosystem together because it was ultimately kind of down to question of where when we see new founder come up to us that are building game or app and tell us that, hey, back, you know, which layer one should I pick? We wanted to have clear answer on this is the way you go. Or if I'm looking for a certain thing in like, you know, solutions or identity, this is the one that you go to build. But as we see in today's world, you know, multi-chain is becoming quite clear. And there's many different new layer ones that are, you know, providing tangible add value to the ecosystem. So that's something that we definitely kind of been too careful in the beginning phase and, you know, stayed away. And now we're expanding our footprint and, you know, activities and engagement in different layer ecosystem to support the new early founders building in these different new layer ones. Bridging needs to be figured out. Though. Yeah, <laughs> it's a, it's a disaster and yeah. it's horrible. <laughs> Can you fix it for me? This is why I'm poor because I can't <laughs> I can't figure it out. Yeah, there's so many different ways that are you know happening, but I think I always tell my friends that when you're trying to do anything in crypto, you gotta become a power user, and when you become power user, you start seeing the big gaps in the industry, and the biggest gap, as you mentioned, as a power user, is the bridges and. It's kind of like being in a city where everything is like one way road and you got to figure out how to really get to that point without being able to make quick turn to just go there. So, yeah, and we've been focusing a lot on that with our portfolios and also new investment as well. Let's go back to sort of what's going on in Asia. South Korea just elected a new, very crypto friendly president. Yeah. <laughs> He's more conservative, yeah, I, yeah. I would say. But is this friendlier approach sending ripples through the space? <laughs> so 
as a fund, we've been, you know, advising and working with the government very closely as an advisor to plan out some of the crypto strategies and especially around like taxation, KYC. And we had a big win two years ago where we put crypto on the map of the financial law in Korea. Uh, and then since then, it's been quite a good tangible progress. Obviously, there is, needs to be a lot of education. But what was really exciting was, you know, all of the candidates of presidential election were very positive about crypto. And, you know, they almost used that as a populism uh, proposal where, you know, I won't kill you know, crypto and I want, you know, um, I will create the uh, sustainable growth to happen in crypto space. Because, you know, one thing is that in 17 and 18, Korea was one of the fastest and the biggest market for crypto where, you know, most of the adult population knew about crypto and held crypto at some point. And it was kind of almost like a, a national uh, meme. And it's still today. And what that means is that there's a lot of people who made money from crypto and also a lot of people who lost money from crypto. And crypto actually matters to their financial lives or personal lives. And this cannot be ignored by the leader, new leader of the nation. So we're expecting to see more and more kind of granular plans come out uh, from the new leader today that was just elected yesterday. And hopefully, you know, it will go in a direction where, you know, it supports and fosters a kind of new founders come to the base. And, you know, there's been a lot of criticisms where, you know, Korea could be the number one market or the, you know, kind of next financial hub for crypto since 18. But the government has really shut down with the wrong kind of, you know, sentiment that got out. And there's a lot of fireback. And I think a lot of the governors are, you know, trying to, you know, see this as, again, as more of a business opportunity rather than a big risk for the companies or, you know, retail investors. You got to get his staff to meet with you. <laughs> We've been working with them, you know, um, tirelessly, especially our legal team and our finance team, because like, one of our person comes from Blue House, which is a White House of Korea. And, and we've been doing a lot of work to push through some of the ideas and, you know, the recent trends within the crypto mainstream industry. I hope that the audience isn't experiencing a degree of whiplash because I am kind of bouncing between certain things, but there's just so much <laughs> to cover and I only have so much time. Have you heard about this new GameFi term, MMOCCG? No, actually, what is that? <laughs> Massively, <laughs> massively multiplayer on-chain composable game. Wow. We have infinite letters to make <laughs> as many acronyms as possible. Yeah, yeah. You know, it makes sense, though, because to kind of continue a little bit on the Korea side, I think it's inevitable to crypto adoption in that that term style of crypto games is happening in Korea right now, where... Interestingly, all these public companies, public gaming publishers, which are in the top 10 in global ranking of you know, gaming publishers like Nexon and Marvel, Comptos, all these massive gaming companies are all building their own chain and token and also building play turn games on top of it. And they're pouring all of their core IPs and contents to build Web3 style. So they're really restructuring their company itself to adjust to what's happening in Web3 and they see this as a future. And it's interesting how public companies are doing this and minting, actually launching tokens when government itself is still in the gray area of a lot of these things. And they're basically seeing that there's huge appetite by the consumers, especially globally, that there's market opportunity and they're just moving forward and just, you know, keeping the innovations to happen. So who's going to win? <laughs> All among those the guys like on your team or or the incumbents so 
It's not one or the other because we are official advisor of a lot of them through our studio. So we're actually building together on many of those games and we're helping them out to design many of these. One thing that I really care about is like they don't really fuck up, right? Because um, I don't want them to miss out the whole opportunity for the nation or the industry where like one major gaming company launches really wrong way and it just kills opportunity for all others. We just really want to make sure that they kind of follow you know, the governance aspect, how tokens should be distributed and all those. Got it. Not as crazy. I was hoping for a fight to the death. <laughs> Maybe they could duke it out in, in League of Kingdoms or something. <laughs> Sir, back Kim, general partner at Hash. Thank you so much for coming on the show. This was a blast. So interesting, so dynamic. Where can the folks listening learn more about what you're doing, follow you, maybe play League of Kingdoms with you or at least get in the Discord or something so they can see what it's all about. Give us your your ads. <laughs> yeah, for sure. You guys can check out our you know portfolios on hash.com and my Twitter is just my full name, you know, B-A-A-K-K-Y-O-U-M-K-I-M. Thank you so much for having me. It was fun. Thank you. Really appreciate it. Ladies and gentlemen, the scoop will be back for you again with another great guest. Have an awesome day.